listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. A boy has more self-respect when he's clean shaved. Attention, ladies, please. I've set out a brand new, can't-miss, husband-pleasing coffee. Mmm, another thing, the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Hello, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Hello, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen. Hello, boys and girls. Hello, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen and others. The rigid confines of gender binaryism are a familiar concept broadcast incessantly in our music, pop culture, news media, and advertising. But where do these ideas originate? Why are they so aggressively perpetuated? And how do we abandon this antiquated paradigm? My name is Shane Gerritsen, and my pronouns are he, him. Pharmacists are in a unique position to provide care for patients who are gender diverse or gender non-binary. Pharmacists across the U.S. are even overseeing care and providing gender-affirming therapy for folks, which we'll talk about in a later episode. In this episode, we're going to talk to some folks with some first-hand experience transitioning and communicating with healthcare providers so we can get a better idea of the unmet needs of our patients. Before we delve into this topic, I'd like to explain some terminology we'll be using. When we say gender diverse or gender expansive, we're referring to a gender expression that lies outside of the binary framework. This can include transmasculine or transfeminine, wherein someone identifies with an expression different from their sex assigned at birth, being male or female, but it also includes people who are non-binary. Cisgender refers to people who do identify with a gender expression that is in line with their sex assigned at birth. Gender non-conforming or gender non-binary refers to someone who identifies with neither masculine or feminine expression. Gender dysphoria is a diagnosis used to describe distress, anxiety, and overall discomfort that people who are transgender feel about the mismatch between their gender expression and their sex assigned at birth. A diagnosis of gender dysphoria is often required by insurance in order to provide gender-affirming therapy. I want to make clear, though, that being gender-expansive is not a pathology and should not be treated as such. When I refer to gender as a social construct, it's important to understand that gender is seen differently by various cultures, and the contemporary gender model and the roles ascribed to the binary fixture vary pretty widely as well. So, as a social construct, I think it's a little outdated at this point, because we're living in a society now where anybody can do anything. This is Leo, a good friend of mine. Hey, my name is Leo, and my pronouns are he, him. Not always, obviously, there's a lot of setbacks, but I think that like gendered toys, gendered that, gendered this is, at this point it's ridiculous because kids are gonna like what kids are gonna like. It doesn't matter, like I grew up liking boy toys even though I was technically female growing up, but I liked all the boy stuff. So like that, in that regard, at least for kids, I think it's silly. I can see how it can make it easier for certain people older, like to f kind of feel a safety in being a specific spot. Mm -hmm. But me, I see gender as like, it can be anywhere in between male, female, or both, or like it can be male, it can be a mixture, it can be non-binary. That's kind of how I see gender in general. It's just a full spectrum. You never, you can kind of fall anywhere where you want to or where you feel you belong. 
I don't necessarily agree with the construct that's going on now, I suppose. Yeah, gender roles are outdated, I believe. Mm -hmm. Like, anybody can do anything. Everybody has a little masculinity and feminine in them. It's always, it's a balance. So that's kind of how I see it. Uh, gender, I think, is, you know, how you think of yourself and also how you present yourself to the world, right? With regard to what society thinks of as gender, right? This is Vicky, another friend of ours. My name is Vicky Knight and my pronouns are she, her. You know, there are roles assigned with that, there are assumptions made about the, the uh, about gender roles, uh, and it's, you know, how you fulfill those roles or don't is really what gender means. But, you know, the diversity around that means that uh, I think it's the way that society seems to be moving forward where people are not pigeonholed into these extremely rigid gender roles. Uh, uh, even if they were, uh, one measure of progress is that can actually change the role that you're in <laughs> and but you know with the with the increase of gender you know non-binary folks people are even pushing that boundary right they're smashing traditional gender roles themselves but for me it's transitioning from one gender to another is is you know an aspect of the diversity that's important to me but you know i think the diversity itself i mean that's one aspect and then there's inclusion right there's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and inclusion is uh, an important piece of that. I can I can be as gender diverse as I want, but if I'm not included in any <laughs> in any space, uh, then it's meaningless or harmful. We should ground the horizon of trans politics in what it takes to build a life worth living, and I think that's a very powerful statement that I, that really has solidified how I take a look at making conditions better for transgender people in the field of healthcare and medicine. That's Jay, a pharmacist and outspoken advocate for gender expansive equality. My name is Jay Holloway. My pronouns are they, them, and he, him because we can do all we can to make our pharmacies more transgender inclusive. And we should. We should make sure that all of our practitioners are well-versed in health disparities and the issues that transgender people face. We should be hiring transgender people to provide their lived experiences and to uh, and to show any potential pitfalls that we see within our systems, such as, for example, Walgreens' system that their policy is you call out patient names by first name, last initial, and you can see the issues that that would cause regarding transgender patients to providing a transgender inclusive electronic health record that doesn't just do sex slash gender M slash F, but going to more like organ in inventory and past medical history, more um, comprehensive looks at what our what our patients have in terms of in terms of health conditions in order to in order to cover that. But and this is something that's very that so this is something that's very difficult for a lot of people when we talk about how to make things better. We can we can and should improve things in terms of in terms of our pharmacy system. However, even with the most inclusive and well-trained pharmacy systems, we still are not addressing the systemic issues that due to discrimination, transgender people face higher rates of 
poverty and unemployment. And with poverty and unemployment comes the inability to afford health care in our for-profit health system. And as much as people do not like the like it, it is the reality that you need to be giving to mutual aid. You need to be giving material resources to transgender people, such as providing them housing and health care and giving to mutual aid funds, which are dealing with acute crises that transgender people may be facing, such as I have three days to get out of my home due to abuse, for example. And the, that's that is the reality of it, because to quote the article, if the anti-transgender bills disappeared tomorrow, we would still have these these systemic inequalities. And you got to You got to give you got to give you got to give resources. And that's because that's really a foundational thing that your activism will ultimately be flawed without it. The odds are stacked against patients who are gender diverse, but it doesn't have to be this way. Understanding, recognizing, and responding to transphobia is really important to support our patients. Find out if your local pharmacies and healthcare systems support electronic documentation of gender identity and pronouns. This is where it starts, and really the first step in recognition of people who are gender diverse. Interactions with healthcare providers, pharmacists, doctors, PAs, nurses, or any healthcare professional is a key area of improvement for helping patients who are gender diverse. So let's talk about your interactions with healthcare providers. Have you ever had an, an instance with a healthcare provider where you felt either really positively or, or really negatively? Yeah, so I've definitely had both ends of the spectrum. Um, I had an experience last spring. This is Ace, a middle school science teacher based in Pennsylvania. Hello, Epic Humans. My name is Ace Schwartz. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. So about a year ago, I hurt my wrists and I went to urgent care. And the second I corrected the doctor, because um, he used my legal name when he came into the room, and I was like, oh, actually, it's Ace and his entire demeanor changed and the level of care that I got just shifted. Um, he like wouldn't rewrap my wrist for me. He wanted me to like leave, like my wrist was an immense pain, wouldn't rewrap it, wouldn't bandage it, wouldn't even give me like a brace, um, which is like, it's a cyst, you're gonna need surgery, you gotta go talk to an orthopedic surgeon. And I was like freaking out because um, he wasn't really answering my questions. So that was a, an example of a really negative experience and it's really hard because to like explain it to folks who have never experienced like microaggressions like that. Like it's not that he said anything mean or like he outrightly like disrespected me. It's all was about his tone, his body language. Um, it was just so uncomfortable. And I just remember feeling so upset after that appointment. Um, and it was just awful. Yeah, so the one negative was at the at the pharmacy there. That was <laughs> because I don't know if they just. I, it's almost like they were not ugly about it, but I think they just they just sort of glossed over it. It wasn't a big deal to them, <clears throat> and I think they just don't understand how big a deal it is to a transgender person to have to out yourself again and again every time. Hey, my name used to be this. Uh, that was really the one negative experience that I've had in the healthcare system pharmaceutical companies in general 
definitely need to work on like a lot of things, a multitude of things. But when it comes to trans stuff, pronouns, name, like names, making sure like everything is, especially being careful about dead naming people because you never know who's around to hear that. And that can be very dangerous. A coworker of mine dead named me in the pharmacy. So I was like, if anybody had overheard that and was transphobic, I could have gotten attacked. You can't just do things like that. She was spoken to about that. (laughs) But so other than that little mishap, pharmaceutical companies in general, they really need to work on like being able to help with those things, pronouns, names, being discreet to a point where they're not outing the person so that other people aren't overhearing because the amount of people who are murdered just for being trans, it's already over the 20s this year. And I think last year it was over 50, most of them being women of color, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. or people of color in general, mainly, I'd probably say, because those are the people who are attacked the most in the trans community. In terms of interactions with healthcare providers, I have been, I don't know how, extraordinarily blessed in that I have managed to avoid most of the macroaggressions that many transgender people face. I don't know how I've managed to be so lucky about this, but that seems to be the case. Um, I would say one of the things that is most that I most commonly see and also I see just of observing how people interact with other transgender people is that even well-meaning allies will often ask me questions and ask me to educate them about transgender health disparities, about my own personal traumas that I've experienced, et cetera, um, unprompted without me asking okay and without compensating me about it too, which can be frustrating. Like, for example, I recently got my blood drawn for my hormone therapy and the, the technician asked me a lot of questions about asking me to talk about my experiences, asking questions that can border into uh, irrelevant and a bit inappropriate, such as I was asked, after starting hormone therapy, have I found my attraction to women changed or not? Which is not pertinent. Also, I consider myself bisexual, so that, and that also plays into stereotypes of this idea that that gender identity and sexual orientation are are similar are the same in that only that transgender people can only be heterosexual, which is not the case. Yeah. Um, but like, I I kind of just put on a calm face, like, okay, I'm an educator professionally. I will be happy to field these questions. Uh, and I don't really have much of a choice because I have a needle in my arm at the moment. Here. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it, it's really awkward on there. And what would have happened if I was having a 
profoundly bad day and I didn't feel like answering those questions. And unfortunately, that is a that is such a massive shared experience amongst Mm -hmm. a lot of transgender people that their time that their time with their healthcare providers is very often wasted explaining their transgender identity when as healthcare providers, we really need to be doing the legwork because there's a power dynamic. We are in a position of power and authority over our patients at that moment. And we shouldn't be spending our valuable time that we, that we have with them, asking them to educate us. And I'm, it's, it also, I just think, makes uh, makes us kind of look bad if we're having to ask our if we're having to yeah. ask our patients and not do the research ourselves. And it's not like there isn't research out there. There is reams and reams and reams of information regarding how to provide gender affirming pharmacy practice and and how certain uh, medical conditions interact or don't interact with transgender identity and gender affirming care. And yeah, like it's, it's not very cool to, to ask your patients to educate you. You are a person with far more, far more resources available than they do. And not everybody is trained to be an educator as well. And yeah, it's it's bad form, I would say. Yeah, you know that's a really interesting and and important thing you bring up there. Like, this is Jordan Smith, infectious diseases pharmacist. His pronouns are he him. You mentioned the well-meaning part, right? And it's um, it comes from I'm sure that technician wasn't you know was wasn't trying to be a jerk uh, and. But at the same time, like thinking about what you're saying right now and hearing that and realizing that like you have to be that person every time you interact with someone because because you uh, because we're not generally educated about this stuff and we're not generally used to it. Like even even the kindest heart is still going to be probing and that could be the 10th time you had to do it that day. And and frankly, the fact that you that you do that is is staggering to me. Like uh, you know, I barely even able to scratch the surface of what that must be like. And it's it's and, and incredible to think about. And and again, the fact that you're always so graceful and kind in these podcasts and like talking to us is is frankly staggering because I would just be I probably would have exploded with rage if I was you by now. Um but you but, don't um, see me on my bad days, but generally <laughs> on my bad days, I kind of cut off communicate. Well, I don't cut off communication. I go, hey, I really don't want to talk to anybody. I just sure. want to sit and drink my tea and sure. uh, and hang out with my cats. And also like the flip side of it is a lot of transgender people feel pressured to put on that educational face yeah. because what if I had said, I really don't have time for this right now. What if this person said, well, trans people are so mean and pushy, right. like they won't answer my extremely invasive questions. I don't see why they need like they don't they don't explicitly say I'm not going to support trans rights because a trans person was pushy to me. But that ties into respectability politics that ties into this idea that you have to be a certain level of nice and respectable in order to have your humanity acknowledged. And like, that's not cool. (laughs) 
has that affected the way that you felt about future healthcare providers? Yeah, so normally I actually am really careful about where I go to different healthcare providers. Like I will do extensive Googling um, and read reviews and see if there's like any indication of like LGBTQ plus friendliness. Um, and I'll also, you know, turn to Facebook or there's a there's a queer Facebook group for Philadelphia. And so like folks will post in there all the time um, asking, what do you know about X, Y and Z? Mm-hmm. But for the urgent care, it was an emergency. I didn't really have a choice. And so that is not like I am much more meticulous usually. And that was just an instance where I couldn't afford to be. And it really turned out awful. (laughs) So uh, the amount of work that I put in to protect myself as much as possible, like, I feel like I shouldn't have to do that. Um, but at the same time, it makes me feel a lot safer going to a doctor's office where I've kind of vetted them. And even like, if I call and say, you know, I'm gender expansive, do, does your practice have experience with this? And like, you know, if they can give me a really clear answer, that's usually a good sign. If they can't, I know to move on to somewhere else. Right. Right. That kind of hesitancy shows that they're, they're not, they're not ready. They're not fully prepared for, for working with you. And that's, that's super unfortunate because if they, that's one of the things that I've, I've read reports of as well is that doctors will sometimes turn away patients because it's, it's too complex. And it's like, no, you're, you're a healthcare provider, like dealing with, with cases with varying degrees of complexity is what's supposed to be your specialty. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not like overly complex. Like I have a sprained wrist or I have a cold. Come yeah. on. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I do want to acknowledge my privilege. I live in the Philadelphia area, which is, has a lot of access to different doctors. I used to live in rural Pennsylvania where there was literally one doctor's office for the whole town, unless you want wow. to go 30 minutes away or 45 minutes away. So I have a lot more access where I can afford to do that vetting process. But there are so many areas where that is just not an option. And you're kind of stuck with whatever you got. Okay, from a patient perspective, um, I've run the gambit. I've been all over from like the uninsured trans patient trying to find care. This is Ken, a pharmacist based in Virginia. I'm Ken O'Shea and my pronouns are he, him. Even though I've got a great connection with my PCP, trying to navigate her getting me hormones, there's so many loops you have to go through. Unfortunately, with the defunding of certain organizations, Planned Parenthood appointments were impossible to get mm-hmm. because it's just so hard. And then the other gender-affirming therapies in my area don't accept insurance. And it was going to be like $500 just for my first visit. And even as a pharmacist, don't really have that kind of money just lying around. So I ended up having to go online to folks. It's folx.com. Uh, and they were, they were great. I'm not trying like, this is not endorsement in any professional capacity. Um, but like they hooked me up with a a nurse practitioner. We did a video call. Uh, I told them about all of my, uh, like health conditions, everything, all that was great. My, like, then they don't take insurance either. So financial issues, whatever, they were cheaper than, than, uh, the the in-person people. Right insurance we're good we're good to go i'm trying to get my nurse practitioner to prescribe it because it is legal for her to prescribe it's healthcare. it's something that you should have access to mm-hmm. but because of the contract that she had signed with her supervising physician she was not allowed to prescribe gender affirming therapy mm-hmm. 
like because he didn't do it, she was not allowed to do it, even though she knew that I needed it. I had been her patient for years. I'm a pharmacist. I was I was able to tell her the dosing I needed everything. She couldn't do it just because the man in charge didn't want to do it. So even for doctors and, and PAs and other providers who do want to prescribe because of other people's biases, they're unable to. Um, and then when I was finally able to get in with Planned Parenthood, they tried to make me go through the counseling and everything. And I was sitting there like, guys, I've already been on it for six months. Like I'm a pharmacist. I know what I'm doing. Please just get me in with a doctor so I can I can do this. So eventually that worked out. But and I understand why that barrier is there because a lot of people in our community do need the counseling. A lot of people do need extra help and everything. But there's a there's a balance between like people who can't help and then the people who, since everyone in our community is so traumatized by the people who can't help, they're trying to help so much that they overwork them themselves which is why it was so hard to get an appointment and everything because they have to undo so much of the damage that the rest of the healthcare community is doing that it's bogging down our system. And from a patient perspective, I never thought that I would be in the position where I'm going to run out of testosterone. It was literally last week. It was, do I buy groceries or do I buy my tea? And like a friend helped me out, which I'm grateful for. But like, these are the things that are all piling on. And even as a healthcare provider, like in most cases, we have privilege when it comes to being a patient because we know what we're talking about. We can, you know, we have that privilege. We have that knowledge. And the fact that no matter from what aspect it was coming from, just being trans wiped out all of that because it was so hard for me to get to get medication. And I can't even imagine what it is like for patients who don't have the steps up that I already had. Like I already have all the knowledge and the wherewithal and like knowledge to go call for PA and all of that and other patients don't. So they're already behind and they're getting bogged down even worse. And like, that's like the hardest thing. Like be as a patient, but also having the healthcare knowledge, it just makes me sad a lot. Like just thinking about like how not great it is to be a patient in our community. So that's my depressing story. Yay! <laughs> Hope I didn't bring down the mood too much. I I think that that's really uh, important to hear though, and, and like to the the way you describe it, right? And even even someone who has all the advantages, all the knowledge. Uh, every workaround you can think of it's still hard and for and 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 to to think about what it's like for so many people that don't have those things and and just like the barriers we put up the barriers we don't even think about there being and 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 it's so important to hear that kind of story because like all you hear is vilification and all you hear is like treating patients people transgender people like some other, some, some horrible thing. And it's like, no, these are people trying to get healthcare. And, it, and it's hard even for those of us who are like enmeshed in the system. While it may seem like primarily a training issue, even the most well-intentioned actions can cause distress if there's no built-in support in healthcare systems for easily updating names and pronouns. Some hospital systems are developing really excellent and robust systems that catalog gender expression, anatomical inventory, and sexual orientation. When you hear the phrase anatomical or organ inventory, what's being described is a way to document specific organs for insurance purposes. 
For instance, if a person transitions from male to female, they would still have a prostate, and as they get older it would be recommended that they receive prostate exams to prevent or monitor prostate cancer, just like a cisgendered man would. Capturing an inventory of organs like this would streamline insurance processes for tests and procedures, overall making for a more inclusive healthcare system. This would also apply to breasts, uterus, ovaries, cervix, vagina, penis, testes, and urethra. While excellent and inclusive software are being utilized in some hospitals and health systems, other major chain pharmacies like CVS or Walgreens are sorely lacking. For such big companies interacting with millions of patients on a daily basis, this is disappointing and they've fallen behind other healthcare systems. The big thing is giving folks multiple spaces. So like, you know, we have to put our legal names for insurance purposes. Like I totally get that. But then also like, you know, this is the name, like what name would you like to be referred to at your visit? Like adding that one thing is like huge. Same mm -hmm. thing, you know, what pronouns would you like me to use? If we're contacting your emergency contact, can we use this name and these pronouns? If not, what would you like us to use instead? Um, it's really just adding a few extra questions, but it is monumental in terms of like signaling that you are an inclusive practice. Industries, I guess, or the, the infrastructure that's lacking is CVS and Walgreens. They seem to be like really falling behind, like years behind, which is really upsetting. Their software doesn't even have options for for pronouns or for chosen names. Oh wow. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. it's it's really dated. Well, if, they, if they're falling behind the State Department with the you know the passport, which is another thing you have to get changed. If they're behind the state the US State Department, then they're pretty pretty far behind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I was I was actually, you know, we were discussing this. I was discussing this with my other coworkers, and we were just sitting there thinking, as Shane said earlier, like we never got training on any of this. This is Addy Gante, a fourth-year pharmacy student at High Point University. His pronouns are he, him. We don't know how to, we didn't even know how to approach the situation. We didn't know anything. Again, that's another failing of of CVS as, as a corporate system, just not being inclusionary in that way. I think we can do better at it. You know, we have those required modules that we have to do. This one was on workplace violence, and I, I really don't think I'm gonna punch any of my coworkers in the face randomly. Learning to interact with people of, of different backgrounds, I think is a bit more important than that. Mm -hmm. I think they need to do better at integrating. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to be prepared for that if you haven't had any training or exposure to it or, even really thought about it. I mean, it's even if the training is lacking, I think it's still good for people to be at least exposed to the idea and the concept. So they'll be at least somewhat prepared, not have deer in the headlights look in defense of CVS. So I went there uh, one, one other time and I had, uh, I actually went there to get COVID tests and my insurance, they said, your insurance doesn't cover it. So I was like, again, you've messed up my name, but actually it turns out that it wasn't that. And I can't remember the name of the pharmacist there, but he was very, very kind and very patient. Uh, I mean, I'm fairly patient, but I, you could tell I was getting a little bit frustrated because <laughs> I was like, look, it sounds just like the name issue that I had like three days ago. Uh, but he was very patient and very kind and he handled it very well. So no, no, no fault to any of the staff or personnel at CVS at all. Sure. They were all great. Uh, but that's been my experience actually with a lot of things. People, I think, 
if you approach them on a human level, they'll respond in kind. But a lot of times they're just part of a system or they're working within a system that is not prepared at all to handle things. Add just one line of code mm-hmm. into the database, like into the systems, and just say preferred name or something more PC, but like, you know, and then have like the legal name in parentheses underneath. Like that would mm-hmm. be so easy for them to implement, but they're not going to do it. They're going to get new planograms or something for the front store instead. But, you know. In regards to making our pharmacy practice more trans inclusive is that we need to have not just trans people being leaders and and doing this um, leading the way in terms of how to make our electronic systems better we also need to have trans people who are from outside of the healthcare sphere who are coming mm-hmm. in as patients because a good example of this is I was interviewed about how to make COVID vaccination efforts and also vaccination efforts in general more transgender inclusive. We talked about how the forms, they would usually have just like sex, M or F. For someone like me who has been very intensely trained in medical care, I understand that, yes, so that designation of sex, M or F, they're not talking about my they're not talking about my gender identity. They are trying to make a best guess assumptions of the organs that I have in order to collect data about if the vaccine has any sort of, for example, reproductive side effects. Mm-hmm. But for a person who is not trained in why they do the why they word these forms a certain way, they may go, okay, do I just put my gender identity? Do I leave it blank, et cetera? And that leads to inaccurate reporting as well. And having transgender inclusive ways of recording medical data also leads to more accurate data as well. Like, do you want to have a data set that is two categories, but fundamentally inaccurate right. in its reporting with real life? Or do you want a more complex data set that is more accurate? Like, I hope that people would go for accurate data over easy data any day. (laughs) If you want to get stuff done, you got to get boots on the ground. You got to go to for pharmacists and pharmacy students legislation day. Find out what your legislation day is, where they come, and they allow you to actually speak pretty freely. Uh, Make sure you go there on the cool head. the, the previous ones that I went to uh, were for provider status because um, a mere two years ago, we weren't quite under attack like this. They will listen if you get, if you talk to somebody, if you get in, if you, if you make face contact, like, like face-to-face contact with somebody and talk to them, they have to listen to you. You're standing right there. You're not going to go anywhere. You're going to talk to them. I'm I'm big against lobbying. I don't think money should ever play a part in politics because I feel like politics and money is is not great. But like in some cases, if I want to use it to my advantage, I'm not against lobbying against anti-trans people at this point. Like they're doing it. I'm going to get in the mud too. But honestly, for pharmacists personally, the most you can do is rally together, talk to your other pharmacists, get everybody on the same page get everybody like understanding how important this is and then go a step up and talk to the providers get all the providers that you can get on board 
go a step up, talk to any direct chief medical directors, anybody on boards uh, in the local hospital systems, in the local surgical units, anybody you can get on board, just keep going up the chain of command. And then once you get all the way as far as you can go, you go straight to legislation day, you go straight with all of you petitioning and sending letters to the same uh, government officials and just inundating them. And the fact that you're all are unified is gonna make a difference. Like that is that is the key to any type of change is to unify and then attack with knowledge. Yes. Knowledge is something that we have in abundance, so. Yes, we just need to all get on board. Retail yeah. pharmacists, hospital pharmacists, y'all fix your shit, get it together. Like, come on. There's a lot of discourse in the community between between us and like, you know, industry pharmacists. We all We all went to the same schools. We may be applying ourselves in different ways, but if we all just communicate, like, we can a get the respect in the medical hierarchy that we are lacking um and b we can we can be such a big change there are so many of us we can do so much if we just all get together that's my that's my rallying call there we go but um i've also had really positive experiences where folks have been super receptive to me, you know, um, saying, you know, my name is, I go by ACE, you know, please don't use my legal name. Like they highlight it really big on all of their chart papers, which is super cool. My gynecologist um, back in Maryland was really awesome about that. Uh, And they also like would write my pronouns on top. Um, And so I have had really positive experiences where like just that tiny little bit of extra effort um, really just changed my perception of going to the doctor. Like it wasn't something that I was afraid of or like nervous about. It was like, oh, okay, I know these folks are going to treat me with respect. And it was just an immensely better experience. That's fantastic. That's really, really awesome. That's the kind of stuff that I like to hear about, the, the positive interactions. Because that's something like getting pronouns and, and names right is something that's it's really foundational. It's really easy. And that's that's where it starts. Like you said, just like the name, just finding out somebody's name and finding out their pronouns and showing that you care builds such a patient doctor relationship. And like when I think of how I want pharmacy to be. You know, it's a wonderful life where they had like the little little old man pharmacist who was everybody's doctor and everybody like I want that to be the face of retail pharmacy. Like I want my patients to come to me with their problems like and I want every retail pharmacy to have that atmosphere. And that's such an easy way to start. That's such an easy way to start it is just asking people and understanding people at like who they are level. And it's with two lines of code y'all just pronouns and name that's all you need that's a very passionate thing i'm sorry y'all are unlocking a lot of leg this is incredible stuff though because i i think i think so often uh especially when you're when you're a student um you know i i have free time well had free time until seven months ago uh to, to do these kinds of things uh and but this these parts of it that aren't what is the medication doing physically? What are the adverse effects? Blah, blah, blah. But like showing you care and, and the little things you can do that make a patient feel comfortable, make, make a person feel comfortable. Uh, like 
it matters so much and and especially like these those stories you're telling about not only a patient but a patient's mother and like finding someone that they can talk to they, they might never have a question about i mean they probably do have a question about the medications but they might not and like that doesn't matter like you're, you're still providing care, very, very, very important care. Um, and, and I think sometimes we don't always emphasize the importance of that stuff uh, when we're when we're teaching. And you know, I'm a faculty member. I know this. Like, it, it doesn't always come across um, as being so important because it seems straightforward. It seems easy, but it's not. It's it's harder. It's harder uh, if you don't devote the time and energy and, and show that you care. So I, I really hearing that kind of thing just warms my heart. And and I'm I'm so. I mean, obviously you care. It's it's coming across in your in you know just talking to you. But like. I, I love to hear that, and it's 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 great. For, uh, it's a great thing for fellow pharmacists. It's a great thing for students to hear. Like, hey, this is also a lot of value. Not just your not just your brain and knowing all the drug interactions and 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 all that. Like, this is this is great. Yeah, healthcare isn't just isn't just drugs. Communicating and building relationships with the members of the gender diverse community is the foundation of providing inclusive healthcare. As healthcare providers, we have a duty to not only understand the disparities our patients face, but act on them and improve equity for our patients. Recognizing and validating patients who identify as gender diverse is the first step. I saw your question about the your experience as someone transmasculine, non-binary. So a fun fact about that, I transmasculine, non-binary is really just kind of a good shorthand that I do for explaining my gender identity to individuals because sure. if if you had to ask me what my gender identity was, I would just say it's it's J. Mm -hmm. J presents okay. as as a more masculine presentation and honestly like you really don't need to know the complexities of what someone's gender identity is you need to just know how do i address you like how how do i address you and how do i treat you with dignity and respect thanks for listening special thanks to leo vicky ken jay ace jordan and addy for joining the conversation music by dave jules Tune into the rest of this series, released monthly, where we'll discuss pharmacotherapy and counseling, medication access, and legislative barriers.